Uh, ladies and gentlemen, you are listening to Simbox Present. Let's talk boxing with your hosts, Luke and Ewan. Hi guys, welcome to another episode of Simbox Presents. Let's talk boxing. I'm your host, Luke Carney, and as always, I will be joined by my co-host, Mr. Ewan Breeze. And before we get underway with today's episode, I would just like to let our listeners know that you can check us out across social media. And we're on Twitter, at Simbox. We're on Instagram, at Sim underscore Box. And you can subscribe to our YouTube channel, which is Simbox Boxing. We provide daily updates, breaking news, and debate all things boxing. Welcome to this week's episode. A monumental occasion, it's our 10th episode. And also a monumental occasion in the fact that it's the first episode of Let's Talk Boxing, where we actually have some British boxing to review, Ewan. How's things? Very good, thank you. Yeah, I enjoyed the, the Frank Warren. Good to be uh, back watching boxing and uh, I can't wait to get stuck into it. Yeah, absolutely. And as always, you know, we'll get into our feature as we move along, but we, we take a look back at this week in boxing uh, and, and what's been making the headlines. And one of the, one of the, the main headlines that I've seen is, is the announcement of Katie Taylor and Delphi Pearson, the rematch. You know, a really great fight the first time around and, you know, there's been a lot of... Uh, Social media attention around the Katie Taylor opponent for August 22nd and the Amanda Serrano, is she, isn't she in? And now we have a set fight in, in Delphine Pesce, the rematch. And, you know, as, as far as rematches go, as far as second options go after the Amanda Serrano fight, not a bad fight at all, you No, I totally agree. I think, I think Serrano is probably the most credible opponent. You know, you've got like basically Shields, Brackhouse... <clears throat> Uh, Serrano and Taylor are the four big champions. So you would have liked to see the Amanda Serrano fight, but the next best option is Delphine Pearson. We talked about it a couple of weeks ago. You know, you know, a lot of ringside observers in New York on June the 1st, 2019, had uh, had Pearson winning that fight. You know, it was very close. I personally scored it a draw. So it's a, it's a very, very uh, contentious fight. So why not run it back? Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, one of the things that I found interesting, uh, caught up with a... Uh, Louis DeBell interview. Obviously, he, he works with Serrano. Um, she does fall under the Matchroom USA banner, but I think he's in there as like a manager. And he was explaining the situation with, you know, the and we touched on it in, in previous pods, but with the, the whole uh, money situation with Amanda Serrano and is, is she being offered the full amount, 50% of the amount, or, you know, she's asked to take a reduction. And, and we only kind of see like, Eddie Hearn's point of view. But when I was watching this interview with Louis DeBell, he made some really interesting points and, you know, a lot has been questioned of, of Eddie Hearn and his, his tactical negotiations, if you like. Yeah, I have a lot of time and respect for Lou DiBella. He's a, he's a boxing man through and through. He's been in the game for a long time, you know, famously worked with the likes of Arturo Gatti for a long time. Um, and I, I have no doubt that he's doing the best for his client in Amanda Serrano. But I also have no doubt that Eddie Hearn's doing the best for his client in Katie Taylor. You know, they're both dogged advocates for their fighters and they're dogged advocates for the business side of it. And they both want their fighter to make the most money. And, I think at the end of the day, you know, neither of those guys are going to tell the truth if it negatively impacts their fighter. I think that what they're doing is advocacy. It's, it's telling their story. It's telling a story. It's their side. And I think that that's, you know, that's what you expect of a manager or a promoter. And uh, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's sad that we didn't get to see the fight, but, you know, Eddie Hearn's pulled through and, and got us a good fight. So, Yeah, absolutely. And I think if, if we're looking at the, the, the Serrano fight happening in the future, you know, this kind of personal animosity that's been built up between the two teams and certainly the two combatants, you know, uh, Katie Taylor coming out on, on Twitter, uh, directly calling out Amanda Serrano, which is something that you'd never 
envisage happening from Katie Taylor. You know, she's such a, like a, a well-spoken, quiet person outside of the ring and, you know, an absolute hurricane inside. And and the fact that she took to social media to, to call out Amanda Serrano directly and then Serrano got involved and there was the whole back and forth. I just think it makes it such a bigger fight when inevitably it does happen or should happen or hopefully does happen in, in the future. You know, the, there's a lot of rumours, a lot of talks of, when we're going to get the first female like pay per view or all female uh, boxing show, and then that very much could be that fight, you know, given how it, it was such a, a big fight to begin with. But you had all the, the razzmatazz and the the, the the personality clashes and 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 everything that's happened on social media. It makes it just that much bit bigger. Exactly, controversy sells, and if they get build a bit of controversy, a bit of needle, a bit of animosity between Katie Taylor, which is you know she's always been very very respectful, very you know, classically quiet and and uh, kind of softly spoken, but she's really taken at Amanda Serrano and Amanda Serrano's bitten back and, you know, the controversy between Luda Bella and Eddie Hearn, you know, that might build. And if it does build, you know, that might be boxing, female boxing's first ever proper super fight, you know. And it, female boxing's first super fight will have Katie Taylor in it and it might be Amanda Serrano, might be Terry Harper. You never know, but... I think that this needle is building nicely, and as Frank Warren would like to say, it's uh, marinating into a into a lovely little rivalry. Absolutely, and we uh, we watch on with a keen interest. Uh, moving on, um, another controversial headline, if you like, this week, and uh, be interesting to get your opinion. Dylan White splitting with trainer Mark Tibbs, long term trainer Mark Tibbs, no longer a part of the Dylan White camp. Uh, where do you sit on the fence with this, Ewan, and what have you made of the whole situation? I think it's really disappointing. Um, I have, especially for his dad. Mark, uh, Mark Tibbs' dad, Jimmy Tibbs, is one of, you know, is, you know, if there's a British boxing Mount Rushmore, Jimmy Tibbs is on it. And I think that Mark Tibbs is a man of, I've, you know, I've only ever had good things said about him. I've only ever heard good things about him. And I think for Dylan White to use his lawyer to tell Mark Tibbs that he's not going to be his trainer anymore, I think that's a very, very poor showing from Dylan White. I think that Dylan White has lost a bit of the humility that um, he should have. And I think that Mark Tibbs can be accredited for a lot of Dylan White's success. And I think it's not only a bad move in terms of of what he... A, a bad move in terms of boxing. It's, it's not just... It's a bad move in terms of personality and what he's getting across, but it's also a bad move in terms of boxing. And I think that... I think I'm, it's just a really disappointing situation. Yeah, absolutely. I think when, when the news first broke, you know, if anything, as a fan of Dylan White, you're kind of disappointed in the fact that, you know, he's, he's, he's parted ways with a guy that's had such a, a positive input on his boxing career and, you know, he's brought him up to arguably being the, the, the fourth best heavyweight on the planet. Um, he's on the cusp of the WBC title shot and you just kind of think, well, okay, it's disappointing, but, you know, if it, trainers and, and boxers split all the time, you know, nothing lasts forever and you kind of, you know, wipe your mouth and get on with it. But then when you like peel away, almost like a like an onion and there's like layers that you peel away, uh, you start to see little bits that, that don't add up, like the fact that it was the lawyers from Dylan White that had to inform Mark Tibbs of the decision, and then the the, the whole interview with IFL, uh, Mark Tibbs giving an interview with her, and then all of a sudden that's took down, and people are rumouring that it was Dylan White and his camp that have asked for that interview to be took down, where Mark Tibbs gives his thoughts and and you know a really personal interview with IFL uh, to to get his side of the story out there, and then all of a sudden that's not available anymore, so it's it's quite a murky situation and one that I can't really fully grasp, you know, maybe in coming days and weeks, we might find out more, but at the minute, it just seems a really murky situation for me. Yeah, I totally agree. And, and I think that especially the kind of that East End uh, London boxing thing where, you know, there's a lot of people, 
that are involved with Jimmy and Mark Tibbs and that kind of camp, and I, you never hear anything but honesty from them. You know, they're you know East End boxing people, and what you see is what you get. If they don't like you, they don't like you. If they like you, like you. And what this has done is just really thrown a kind of smoke grenade in front of all that, and the kind of cut and dry nature of, of somebody like Mark Tibbs has been kind of drowned out by this kind of wall of of legal jargon and shutting down interviews and things. And I think that that's really immoral actually i think that if you know if you part ways then you should be able to you know speak your mind if if you feel you've been treated unfairly why not speak your mind you know if dylan white really thinks he's acted honorably he should give an interview as well and they should you know have it out you know there's two sides to every story absolutely there is but why not allow each person on each side to voice that i think shutting down voices and uh stopping people from telling their stories is a very dangerous thing and i think you'll lose doing it yeah, absolutely. And, uh, just a quick asterisk to that conversation as well. Uh, Richard Rackpo, uh, part of Dylan White's team as well, he's also split from Mark Tibbs. You know, he's worked closely with, with Dylan White and he was being trained by Mark Tibbs under the same umbrella and he too has, has left. So, again, it just adds another interesting layer to the conversation. It's Yeah, it's a very difficult situation. Obviously, Dillian, like like AJ on his way up, has kind of picked up these fighters, you know, the Wardleys and Rackpo's of the world and I know Wardley doesn't train with Mark Tibbs, but it'll be interesting to see that kind of how the kind of the whole camp aspect moves along, and how boxing kind of moves forward in that in that part of the world. Absolutely, and, and moving on, uh, the anniversary three year anniversary, uh, Josh Taylor defeating O'Hara Davis three years ago in in July of 2017 up in Glasgow. Uh, he was at the time, you know, looking, you know, it's easy to be an after timer and, and say that. Josh Taylor is so much better than O'Hara Davis as, as where they are now in terms of their boxing careers. But at the time, this was quite an interesting fight. It had all the build-up with O'Hara's bad-mouthing and, and Josh Taylor always like su- supremely confident. And he, he stopped him in seven rounds. You know, some people say O'Hara Davis quit. He said he had issues with his nose and he couldn't breathe. Uh, Ewan, as always, I know you're a big fan of Josh Taylor and I'm sure you've got quite the, the opinion on this. He couldn't breathe out of his nose because Josh Taylor bashed it in. Um, it was he, O'Hara Davis was humiliated and forced to quit by Josh Taylor. Josh Taylor is a world class operator, and O'Hara Davis is a mouth, and uh, it proved that it's about a, it's the boxer versus the talker, not the puncher. And Josh Taylor just absolutely left him for dead. Who doesn't love watching O'Hara Davis get smacked in the mouth for seven rounds? I think that it was it's one of the most satisfying victories. I'm I'm, I'm lucky enough to have spoken to Tom Farrell several times, and and I'm very close to the city of Liverpool, and I love the city of Liverpool, and the things that O'Hara Davis said. Um, are absolutely abhorrent and uh, watching him get punched in the face by a world-class operator like Josh Taylor is absolutely brilliant for me. Yeah, absolutely. I think it was it was really interesting to see the structure of each man's career since then. You know, O'Hara Davis is, is yet to break back through. You know, he's got the opportunity in the golden contract final against, uh, remind me again, who's in the final against? Tyrone McKenna in the, in the golden contract. And, yeah, he just since the Josh Taylor fight, Josh Taylor went on and you know, fought uh, Victor Postol and then he, he went into the the World Boxing Super Series, and he, he won that in a, the epic fight, of course, with the Rougarou, uh, Regis Progre. So just to see, to say that that fight back in 2017 was, from the outside, almost like a 50-50 fight. And then thereafter, it's been every, anything but 50-50 in terms of one guy's kind of stayed at British level and the other guy's the, the number one 140-pounder on, on the planet. And, you know, the world's his oyster. You can go up to 147 pounds and get a super fight up there, maybe with a Terence Crawford or a Manny Pacquiao. Um, or he can stay at 140 pounds and, and attempt to become the undisputed, which is, I think, going to be his next goal uh, once once lockdown passes and we can get back to, to getting these proper 
big main event shows in, in, in America with top ranking. I'm sure that's that's next on the list for Josh Taylor. Exactly. Hopefully it's Ramirez or uh, even a rematch with Progress will be fine with me. I think that Josh Taylor is the king of that division at the moment and he's got, you know, the, like you say, the world at his feet and I think O'Hara Davis, rightly so, is uh, struggling for opportunity. Absolutely. So let's move into it, Ewan. The first time since we've started Let's Talk Boxing as a fully-fledged podcast, uh, we have a fight night review to commence uh, down at the BT Studios in London. Frank Warren became the first British boxing promoter to put on a show post-lockdown or towards the end of lockdown. You know, we're not fully out of the woods just yet. You know, it was a, a brave call. It was like one small step for Frank Warren and one huge step for British boxing. Uh, very exciting times, you know, and, and some good fights on the card. Absolutely. And I think, first of all, we do have to praise Frank Warren and BT Sport Boxing. You know, credit where credit's due. We're not we're not favourite, being favourites of either one set of promoters or the other, but respect to Frank Warren for actually doing it very, very safely. And the Steve Bunce did a little walkthrough of the arena and how it all worked. And it was so well run and it worked so well on the night. I know there's a bit of a delay, but, you know, we had hazmat crews cleaning the ring. We had spit tubes, so there was no buckets involved. You know, there was British Boxing officials monitoring, British Boxing Board of Control officials monitoring everything. You know, hats off. It was a big operation. It must have cost a lot of money to put on and do safely. But actually, they did it safely and they did it safely for the fighters. Yeah, absolutely. Again, I echo your thoughts there that it was, it was really uh, well laid out. It was it run reasonably smoothly, you know, as, as well as we could have hoped. You know, I think Steve Bunn's done a great job with a little walkthrough and as always, he's full of energy, he's very exuberant. And he's a great boxing guy, Steve Bunce, and it was interesting to get his point of view and, and have his walkthrough to let us know how things were laid out. It, it was almost seamless, you know, and the, the fact that the boxers didn't even hang around for a shower in the studio, they was back to the hotel as soon as possible, and then there they could clean up and, and you know, watch the, the, the rest of the boxing or do whatever they wanted to do at that point. You know, they had David Hay at a separate part of the studio giving his input. As always, I think David Hay is, is really turning into quite the pundit, you know, and getting his his thoughts on, on the show and, and everything else. Again, really interesting. And I could say the boxing the boxing played its part as well. You know, the main event was great. We had uh, some prospects on there. We had some knockouts on there. So all in all, you know, it's not a bad step back into into what we like to think is getting back to normal now with regular boxing shows. Exactly, exactly. I, feel, I thought, like I say, it ran very, very smoothly. I thought David Hay, for the first time, I'm not normally a massive fan of David Hay on punditry, but I thought that this is his best appearance yet. I thought he was very, very eloquent, and I thought he did a, a, a better job than I've ever seen him do before. I think, like you say, I think he's coming into his own as a, uh, as a kind of media personality. I know he's always been good with the media, but uh, as that, in that kind of punditry role, I thought he was very good. Um, yeah, like I say, I think, there's some, I think there's at least one prospect on there that is going to be a big name coming forward. I think there's a couple of others who look very good. And yeah, the main event was brilliant, wasn't it? It was a great back and forth battle. And uh, yeah, I think I think Brad Foster might have made a star out of himself. Absolutely. So let's get into it. We'll go through each fight one by one. We'll give our thoughts and, and break down where the guys might go next. Uh, first fight of the night. Uh, it'll be forever known as the first British boxer to pick up a win post-lockdown in 2020. And it goes to Mark Chamberlain. He blew away Stu Greener uh, inside the very first minute of the first round. You know, after all the... The, the dressing up and the, the excitement and, and the build-up, the first fight ended within the first 60 seconds. You, know, you just couldn't write it. No, it was absolutely brilliant, wasn't it? I thought it was a fantastic little um, fantastic little fight to get underway with. And Mark Chamberlain did exactly what you uh, exactly what you meant to do against journeymen like that. You know, if what more can you ask them for them to just go after? Good, good shot selection, good power, 
good intensity and just blow them out of there. I thought it was a great way, you know, to start off with a bang. Absolutely. I think he used every bit of his, his, his physical advantages. You know, he was a taller man. He was the younger man. He was the fresher man. He had the bigger reach, clearly the bigger puncher. And he just didn't let uh, Stu Greener breathe. And, you know, he, he took the opportunity to, to take him out at, at the first sign of, of being able to land those shots. And, yeah, I was really impressed. And, you know, he improves now to, to 6-0, and four knockouts. So, I think, he, you know, as long as he keeps on moving in the in the right direction, I'm sure Frank Warren will want to get him out again and keep him busy, given that it was such a short appearance. Uh, but, yeah, one definitely to keep an eye on and hopefully one that we can continue to see flourish. Exactly. Yeah, I know. I know. We all know it was a mismatch, but at the same time, if it is a mismatch, that's how you handle a mismatch. You know what I mean? You get them out of there and, uh, you know, I can't fault his performance, like you say, and uh, I uh, I think he's on, a, on a, onwards and upwards, and I think he'll be a, a regular feature of these Frank Warren cards moving forward. Definitely. And then we move on to the, the first of two heavyweight fights that was on the card. Uh, Doran Krasmaru, he won over four rounds in only his third pro contest. He took on Phil Williams, who he's, he's a veteran of almost 30 fights now. And I think Doran Krasmaru, you know, I think he, the, the big thing around him in the lead-up to this fight, he was sold to us as Daniel Dubois' chief sparring partner. He's been a, a sparring partner for many a year now. And yeah, he, he kind of just ticked over, you know. I thought if he really put his foot on the gas, he could have pressed for the KO. You know, Phil, Phil Williams is a tough man. But I thought Chris Maru, you know, he, he could have put his foot on the pedal a little more and, and tried forcing the stoppage, maybe. I think that you underestimate Phil Williams and how, how tough he is and how big he is. He's a very, very big man and he's very, very crafty about not being stopped. He makes his trade in not being stopped. He's had, he's had like you say, like nearly 30 fights now and he's only been stopped three times. He's, he's a very, very crafty, you know, road warrior. And I think he's very, very tough as well. He's clearly got a great chin on him. I think Krasmaru looked good, but he, he is slightly undersized. And like you say, maybe he doesn't have that power. But again, I think Phil Williams did a, a very good job to stay in there, which is, you know, that's how he plies his trade. That's what he's good at. But um, yeah, like you say, I think Krasmaru probably could have pushed for a stoppage, but that's easier said than done against someone crafty like Phil Williams. Yeah, absolutely. I'll credit to Phil Williams for, for, for staying in there for, for the four rounds and, you know, one in, in Chris Maru that we do, you know, keep an eye on. And as always, the heavyweights will garner attention regardless. And yeah, I'm sure we'll see him coming again and, and on these Frank Warren cards as we as we move forward. So uh, the next fight on the card uh, was one that I was really excited for. I had it down on paper as maybe a 50-50 fight. Uh, Paul Keane at 12-1 and one headed in, only the one defeat on his record. And he came up against Hamza Shiraz. Really, really exciting talent and... Yeah, a great fight, a great performance from Shiraz. He dropped him in the first round and he'd go on to, to stop him in six with the corner, pulling him out, pulling Paul Keane out at the end of the sixth round. What did you make of Hamza Shiraz, Ewan? I thought he was very, very good. He's massive at the weight and I think that he uses those advantages, the, you know, his kind of physical attributes to his advantage. I thought he was, you know, obviously it's a, it's a comparison that gets made a lot, but that kind of Tommy Hearns-esque, you know, using your height and using your reach when you have got this freakish reach at a lower weight. He did have a, an element of that, of a very, very raw kind of long puncher. But no, he, his first knockdown was a beautiful little shot uh, that took uh, Keane down in the first round. And then it was just a survival game from Keane, from Keane after that. I mean, he did very well to survive, but he was never going to get back in that fight after he got dropped in the first round. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think the one slight surprise was that Shiraz didn't close him. Uh, closed the, the fight in the first round, giving, like you say, it was punch perfect, the, the the knockdown, and he just went back behind the jab and he just he marched him down, 
throughout the six rounds of the fight that, that it lasted. And like you say, he's huge at the weight. And I think, you know, going off what he was mentioned on commentary, that they're looking at maybe a Hamza Shiraz and Troy Williamson fight at somewhere down the line, which is a, is a great fight and a real testament of, of where Hamza Shiraz is at in terms of his career at the minute. That's a very, very bold move. You know, Troy Williamson is a very good fighter, but there are, there, you know, there's lots of good fighters at this at this weight. You know, there's some on the uh, on the Eddie Hearn show at uh, junior middleweight. I think it's a great on-fight division. I think Hamza Shiraz is a great, great little addition to that kind of, that weight class domestically. He's obviously offers something very different to a lot of the other fighters. You know, we've got a lot of kind of compact fighters at that weight, but he is this kind of long, lean puncher. And I think he's a nice addition. Um, I think that also we need to shout out to uh, Paul Keane's trainers who did an excellent job in stopping him when they did. You know, he'd lost the fight. He was never coming back into it. He was probably going to get stopped. And I think that, you know, we need to develop a culture in boxing of knowing when the fight should be stopped. And that was when the fight should have been stopped. I think them pulling him out was a very, very good idea. Absolutely. Absolutely. Echo those thoughts. And then just in touching on Hamza Shiraz again before we move on, you know, you mentioned there about the the super welterweight or light middleweight, whichever way you want to call it, the 154-pound division. And, you know, if some of these fights that can happen, you know, in, in with co-promotions, you know, because obviously we've got Frank Warren with Hamza Shiraz and uh, Troy Williamson. And then over in Matchroom, you have, like you mentioned, Anthony Fowler, Sam Egerton, Tachisman. You know, if, if we can get these all in the mix, you know, British titles, the European titles, and then, you know, the winners can move on to the world stage and the losers will have to go back to the drawing board. But as long as those fights can be made, you know, we don't want to keep Hamza Shiraz on one side of the street and, and the other guys on the other side of the street, you know, we, we want to get these fights made. You know, obviously we've got uh, egg and cheese coming up in, in, in fight camp and that, that, that promises to be a great fight. But, you know, moving forward, Scott Fitzgerald chucking back in the mix and it's just it's a really exciting time. And yeah, just go back to it again. I just hope these fights can be made because Hamza Shiraz is a very exciting talent and he's very much in the in the mix with, with all those guys. Exactly, and you spoke to Kieran Conway this week. He's also in fight camp, and I think that that might be a that might be one for down the line. I think that would be a fantastic fight. Yeah, absolutely. And just touching on the, the Kieran Conway situation, uh, I noticed today Matt Room was tweeting that that's been elevated, and now it's it's got a I think it's a WBA uh, trinket title on there. So again, it's another uh, step forward for for Kieran Conway, and and one that will give him some sort of ranking moving forward if he is victorious against uh, Nev Mansouri. Exactly, and I think he's a really interesting uh, addition to that sort of mix of the people we've talked about. Definitely. So back to Friday night, and we moved to, after the European title fight with Hamza Shiraz and Paul Keane, we had the second heavyweight clash of, of the night, and we had the prodigious, uh, murdered that word there, David Adelaide against Matt Gordon. And and this this was an exciting heavyweight clash, where we had uh, Adelaide, the much more physically complete boxer, and yeah, he blew him away inside two rounds and he seems a really exciting, confident young man. He's a big old lump, isn't he? You know, he's body perfect. You know, he looks like he's been carved out of marble, but he's very raw as a boxer, but he is very powerful. And he had a beautiful little left up to the body, which is obviously something he's been drilling. I think I like that. You know, it's a good thing to see from a, a boxer who's so unseasoned, who's kind of so raw. Uh, but yeah, he was—he wasn't slick, he wasn't skillful, but he, you know, he clubbed his way to victory, and that's what you can ask for, you know, uh, at one and oh two and oh. That's exactly what Daniel Dubois was doing, just clubbing people out of there. And I think that Adelaide's got a little bit more—he's uh, got a little bit more about him than Dubois had at one and two fights in, and I think that he's in the right place with Frank Warren to kind of get that slow burn that he needs, having you know not a great deal of amateur experience. And I think that he's he's one that we should look out for coming up. Obviously, you know, it was heavily sold that he'd sparred with Fury for in preparation for the second Wilder fight. 
and you know take from that what you will. But at the same time, he did show that he was you know he had a little bit about him. He wasn't just a raw heavyweight. And uh, yeah, I, I like the look of him coming forward. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you touched on it there that the fact that he was in in camp with Tyson Fury ahead of the the rematch with Deontay Wilder, and you know that's a testament to the the, the athletic ability that he has, the, the the punch power, and I think that's what he was brought in to replicate of Deontay Wilder, of course. And I think that that's again shown in the fight. He wasn't he wasn't slick. You know, he wasn't the Ali of the heavyweight division. He was he was the brute strength. And when we say about people using their physical capabilities to the to the very maximum to to ensure victory. Uh, David, uh, David Adelaide, he, he very much epitomised that, and yeah, he, he, Paul McGordon was at the end of a, you know, quite a brutal stoppage in the end, and we will certainly keep an eye on Adelaide moving forward, and I'm sure with it, with the fact that he hasn't got the most uh, expansive amateur experience, that we, you know we, we'll see him out again. I wouldn't be surprised if he gets added to one of the the fight cards towards the end of August, and and moving into maybe seeing him two or three times before the end of the year, you know, if he, certainly if he's going to blow away opponents as quickly as he has been. Yeah, exactly. I, I once heard a trainer, I can't think, think who it was now, but saying that you get a fighter and you get talent, and you get a big brick of talent and then you have to carve a sculpture out of it. And uh, I think David Adelaide is uh, kind of at the epitome of that big brick of talent because all he did at the weekend was grab hold of that brick and smack Matt Gordon around the head with it. Um, but he's actually, you know, he, he is ready to be moulded and he is ready to find those little finesses in his game. And I think that, I think that, like I say, he did add a nice little left up to the body. And I think that as he adds those tools and, and uh, you know, gears up his armoury, I think he, he could be very dangerous as a heavyweight. Absolutely. So we're moving to the, the main event. Uh, Brad Foster defending his British and Commonwealth uh, bantamweight titles against local rival James Beach. Both men undefeated, very similar records. Uh, an interesting fight going in. Uh, Brad Foster with the great story behind him of working in Tesco throughout lockdown and and trying to match that up with his his career as a professional boxer and it's a really great story to hear and and James Beach you know on, on such a big platform for the first time undefeated and he certainly came to win and he gave it his all and ultimately he lost a, a competitive but a clear unanimous decision loss and Brad Foster is now the proud owner of the British title outright given that he's defended it successfully three times as well as the draw with Lucian Reed. Yeah, it was a brilliant fight. You know, I wasn't, I'm not, I wasn't massively au fait with either of them going in, but actually, they both put on an absolute show. And you know, James Beach showed a brilliant heart. You know, he was he was kind of overmatched from the beginning, but uh, he was absolutely fantastic, uh, and he fought his heart out. But Brad Foster was just a little bit of a class above. He was a little bit faster, a little bit fitter, and he just used that beautiful little uh, switch hit he, he does, where he follows you around the ring and he switches his stances. And he just used that to just be that little bit more effective, land slightly more clean to head and body. And I thought he was brilliant at the end. I thought he really proved his class and, you know, earned that British title exactly, you know, earned it outright and showed that he earned it and he deserved it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's, it's going to be really interesting to see where Brad Foster goes from here because he's won the title outright. So he will, what, step up? You know, I'm sure he'll be looking at European titles maybe and, you know, maybe working towards... Uh, world titles, but you know the the gap in in class between British level uh, uh, super bantamweight uh, compared to you know world level is 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 huge. And if he's at the top of the pile now as British champion, you know he's going to have to you know maybe take on some fringe contenders and and, and work up towards world title because I'm sure that's where it's going to head. You know if he continues being uh, the, the the exciting fight that he is and he's undefeated, of course, and it's just going to be really interesting to see where uh, they, they try and match him up. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's uh, like you say, you don't want to be throwing him in at the very, very top level because some of the super bantamweights that are out there in the world are 
are very, very scary, very, very dangerous individuals. Um, that said, the current European champion is just coming off the back of a draw. It's uh, Luca Rigadoli, and uh, you know he's twenty-two and one. I don't. I mean, I don't mind that fight for Brad Foster. I think he's very, very well equipped to go in at European level. I think I thought he, I thought he won a lot more rounds than the commentators had him winning on Friday night, and I think he's ready for for that sort of big leagues. You know, he's. I think he really showed some class and some ability and some and a lot of the uh, one of the big things is fitness uh, a lot of people aren't 12 round fit and Brad Foster showed that he's absolutely 12 round fit and that he can go into a championship fight whenever even while he's still working at Tesco's absolutely he can, yeah. he can stay that fit and I why not chuck him in for a European title I think that's a I think that's a great fight for Foster yeah absolutely I think you know just having a quick glance at the the domestic uh, rankings you know another name in there that'd be a good barometer of where he's at is uh, Gavin McDonnell. I'm sure that that'd be an interesting fight to be made, and you know Gavin's uh, former world title challenger. Um, I think that that could be an interesting fight, and you know again if 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 uh, Brad was to come through that kind of fight, and you know a serious domestic challenger who's been at the world level, again it would it'd answer more questions and and push him towards the right direction, maybe. Yeah, and he's absolutely no joke. Gavin McDonnell is a world class operator. He showed that that he's a very very good fighter, and he can fight at a very high level. And I think that that's a, a probably an even harder fight than the uh, than the European title fight. But why not? Again, if you've got a lad who can prove himself on the big stage and he's starting to make a name for himself, give him another big name. Do you know what I mean? We've seen it. We've seen it so many times where people think that they're outmatched and it's too soon, and then you let, give it to them and they shine. And I think Brad Foster rose to the occasion to be the first main event back. And why not? Why wouldn't he raise to a raise to the occasion again if you give him a fight with someone like Gavin McDonald? Absolutely, and uh, we we look on with excitement, and yeah, we we look forward to to seeing where the Brad Foster journey goes next. Uh, just touching on a couple of things from fight like you, you know, we've we praised Frank Warren, we've we've praised the, the 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 show that he put on, and and the work that went on behind the scenes. Where do you sit on the whole can noise? You know, the the, the input of the fake uh, fans, and you know, they're the replicating the noise, and you know, we've seen it work with with football, you know. People have a listen to it with it, or they, they have the option to listen without it. And I just didn't expect it to be part of of the first fight card. The, the first fight card back, you know. I thought when you listen to Steve Bunce on the the Five Live podcast, he, he was adamant that it wasn't going to be a part of it, and that he didn't want anything to do with you know the the the, the, the fake noise being used. But as it was, it it, it was there. And yeah, what what do you make of it? I thought it was really weird and off putting at the start. I didn't like it. I, I'm I'm quite a big fan of the UFC. And uh, I've been watching UFC cards without any fans and no no added crowd noise for some time now. And I'd quite got used to that. And that's what I was expecting from the boxing. But I was kind of, I was really put off the first couple of fights when I could hear it. I didn't like it. But actually, like the football, by the end, I'd sort of forgotten about it. I was watching the fighting. I, I kind of, it didn't bother me as much. You know, it was the first couple of walkouts. It really bothered me. And uh, But I did, I kind of eased into it. I've not got a great opinion of it. But at the same time, I'm not particularly averse to it. Like I say, you do when the fights are good enough. You settle into watching boxing, and you're not watching, you know, the spectacle anymore. You're watching two lads fight, and that's what you care about. And so I think I did ease into it, but I wasn't a fan when it first when it first started. I thought this is bizarre. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's what threw me. You know, and I've watched a lot of football since its return, and you kind of when when you, you have it as part of the football, it's it's, it's fine tuned to you know, say if Manchester United are playing at home. It's, it's, it's pre-recorded noise from Manchester United fans and vice versa for Arsenal, Chelsea and, and Man City and other teams. Whereas with the boxing, it was just kind of generic cheering. You know, it didn't really add anything to, to the spectacle as such. You know, 
when you're watching Manchester United, you expect to hear Manchester United songs being sung, and and that's what you get with Sky Sports and and BT Sports, and with boxing, it was you know it wasn't like it was a Sweet Caroline being uh, belted out by a, a pre-recorded crowd. So yeah, I think it was the fact that it didn't really add anything to to each contest, and like you, you know, eventually I did settle in and. You just kind of get used to it and get on with it and appreciate the fact that you're watching live boxing, live British boxing once again. But yeah, in general, it was it was strange. Yeah, I agree. But also there's a massive other crowd element in boxing that so when somebody gets really rocked or there's a knockdown, that's when the crowd erupts. And yep. kind of it, it was exactly the same when somebody landed a light jab as to when there was a spectacular knockout. Absolutely. The noise was the same. And I found that a bit strange as well and a bit off-putting because boxing crowd is not necessarily about, you know, it's not necessarily as tribal as the football as, you know, we sing these songs, we cheer when this team scores. It's like, you know, you can appreciate, there's a lot of boxing fans who go as neutrals and appreciate both fighters. But then there's also like for the beach in uh, the beach and foster fight, you know, it would have been really tribal. It would have been Walsall versus Litchfield and they would have had their own songs. And you can't really replicate that in a kind of sound studio. I think it's a bit bizarre. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So moving on, you know, since our last podcast was recorded, uh, Frank Warren came out with uh, his his resume of shows that are coming up between now and the end of August, and he's kind of tried matching what Frank uh, what Eddie Hearn is doing with fight camps, and you know he's announced them all at once. Uh, some good fights in there, you know. There's some fights where we don't have opponents, you know. There's there's plenty of TBCs in there, but you know, such you know Frank Warren is never going to have the, the stable of a, an Eddie Hearn, you know, and the amount of fighters that that Eddie Hearn uh, as it is disposable, or maybe even a and MTK at the minute, you know, because MTK have come out with their shows and we'll touch on that in a future pod because there's some great fights in there as well. And I just don't think Frank Warren has that depth anymore. So in terms of trying to match up his, his own fighters throughout, you know, he's, he's got plenty of A-side uh, boxers, but in terms of trying to get the away fighter in from in-camp too, I think, you know, he'd, he'd struggle with that. But yeah, he, it was good to see that more British boxing has been announced and some good fights in there, Ewan. There is some good fights in there, but you have to look very, very carefully in between all of these TBCs because there's a lot of them. I mean, whoever TBC is, he's having a busy four weeks between July the 25th and August the 29th. Absolutely, it's, absolutely. There's, a, I think there's 11 fights on there that, are, that don't have confirmed opponents. But that said, there are a couple of brilliant fights hidden in amongst the TBC fights. And, and I think that they will be worth watching. And, you know, we had a few mismatches on this card and it was a very good card. And I think that the rest of these will prove the same. Um, the most disappointing news is that Joe Joyce and Daniel Dubois aren't fighting each other. They're fighting other people. Um, but yeah, I think there is some good fights and I think that, it, that I think all the cards will, in the end, be worth watching. Yeah, most definitely. I think, you know, in, in an ideal world, we would have loved to have had uh, Dubois and Joyce fight each other. It was never going to happen behind closed doors. You know, they're never going to have the budget for, for that. But the fact that, you know, I like the idea that they're both going to get a run out, uh, shake any cobwebs off, and then when the the inevitable clash happens, you know, it's been rescheduled for October. You know, there should be no ring rust and, and, and any worries that we had about these guys not clashing um, at, at, the, at the best. You know, hopefully, um, you know, with having these runouts, you know, the, the end of the ring in October in, in, in peak physical condition. That's That's the hope, obviously. You know, fingers crossed there's no banana skins because if there is, somebody's going to really end up you know, with their, with egg on their face, if if you know Michael Wallyish or Eric Pfeiffer manages to pull the job off, then uh, Frank Warren re- will have really shot himself in the foot. But uh, at the same time, yeah, they will be fresher, fitter, probably you know coming off a second camp, uh, get a nice little easy run out each, and then you know hopefully be in the best shape possible in maybe October, maybe later. We're not sure. 
Yeah, absolutely. I think the one worry for me is, you know, more than likely, you know, they, 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 they will win in the one, you know, easily. It's, it's more if there's, you know, you, you can't legislate for cuts or injuries, you know, look at Tyson Fury at the end of the Otto Wallen fight, you know, and, you know, he got the victory, but it, it was very close to being a, a huge worry that it was going to delay the, the inevitable rematch with Deontay Wilder. And, you know, we all know how that played out, but that cut was horrendous and it only takes, you know, a lapse in concentration or, a, you know, a thumb or an elbow or, or a, a clash of heads in the wrong place. And, you know, it, it chucks that whole fight into disarray. And the last thing we need is after a couple of delays already, and Joe Joyce's advancing years in comparison to Daniel Dubois is any kind of delay to that fight again. Exactly. And Big Joe's got a lot of scar tissue around the eyes. You know, he, he has bu- bu- bust open there before in the amateurs. And you don't want that, you know, like you say, exactly a stray elbow, a stray head. And, and then suddenly the Daniel Dubois fights off. And it is a big risk to be taken at this stage. But at the same time, Frank Warren's a gambling man. And he's he's decided that this is the best way to go, is to keep them fit and to keep them active. And then that's how he's going to move them on. And, you know, hopefully that gamble pays off. I don't want anything to happen to them. I want to see the fight between the two of them. But at the same time, there is there is an element of risk involved in this strategy. Yeah, absolutely. So as we look at, we'll have a brief overview of each card. And, and then as, as, as we know, we, we picked out our two fights to look out for, you know, from the fights that we do have announced. So the next Frank Warren offering will be July 25th. That'll be headlined by Joe Joyce, who we just mentioned there. He'll fight in uh, Michael Wallish. Uh, you know, I don't know too much about his opponent. Uh, and I'm sure it's just somebody for him to, like you say, uh, get the run out against and and kind of shake away any cobwebs and, and move forward into that Dubois fight. Yeah, it's it's just a, a tick over fight, but he's you know he's twenty and three. The lad he's got, he's never really fought outside of uh, outside of Germany. He's recently lost in in his last four. He's lost three to Christian Hammer, FA Jagba, and Tony Oka. So he's kind of fallen into that gatekeeper role a little bit uh, of late. Once he's moved away from Germany, he's he's kind of fallen into a, a losing streak. But you never know these big big German lumps. He's six foot five and a half. I don't think he's going to pose a great big threat to Joe Joyce. I think Joe Joyce is probably the class above. But at the same time, you know, he's he's got lots of experience that, you know, he's got 23 fights under his belt, which is less a lot less than Joe Joyce. So, um, yeah, you never know. It's not a not particularly exciting fight. It doesn't light the world on fire. But, you know, there is a level of interest in seeing Joe Joyce back in the ring. Yeah, absolutely. And also on the card, we have some unbeaten prospects in, in Louis Lynn, uh, Echo Isuman. And uh, Denzel Bentley, you know, 12 and old Denzel Bentley, he's, you know, on the cusp of, of breaking into, you know, British title level and, and making a name for himself. You know, he's, he's won his last few fights by knockout and he, he was on social media recently. I think he was looking at the the fight with either Mark Heffron or, or Marcus Morrison. You know, he was a bit of back and forth with those two. And, you know, he shows that he's got a bit of personality there and a bit of spite that he's willing to go and call out the the bigger names, the more established names as he continues to try and build his own career. So, yeah, I think it'd be interesting to see him get him a run out, you know, depending on the opponent. We could see, you know, where, where he's at. And again, yeah, I'm just really excited to see Denzel Bentley. And I think he's he's that kind of prospect that's building a lot of excitement. Yeah, that's uh, it, he's a good a good little fighter. And, you know, he's got that audacity to call people out. The other fight on that card is uh, Ramaz Mahmood against uh, Chris Bork, which is, a great little trade fight, and I think that that one might have uh, fight of the night written all over it. Yeah, absolutely, and I'll, I'll delve into that fight a little bit more because that is actually one of the two fights that I've picked out is to keep an eye on. Uh, that alongside, uh, I've also picked out Sam Maxwell and Joe Hughes, so we'll get into that fight, which comes on the Dubois undercard. But as we move on from 
the, the fight week two, you know, the, the week we've just had uh, with Brad Foster and James Beach is, is their first fight night. Week two is with Joe Joyce and Michael Wallace as we move into week three on July 31st. Uh, this is, is, is where it gets a bit sticky with the, you know, the opponents not being announced just yet. You know, we have London Arthur against Dex Spellman, which, you know, on paper is a good fight. You know, London Arthur is, is local to myself. Uh, got a lot of excitement around London Arthur. He was scheduled to, to box Anthony Yard, so I'm not sure where, where that fight's at at the minute because it was rescheduled as part of the Joe Joyce and Daniel Dubois card. Um, hopefully, you know, the Arthur Yard fight is still in the works and this is just a, a tick-over fight. But, you know, Dex Bellman is, is not really a mug and certainly London Arthur and Pat Barrett and the team uh, will not be overlooking Dex Bellman. No, no, I think Dex Bellman's got, um, you know, he's he's... He's not anything to write home about as an opponent. It's not the Anthony Yard fight that they would have wanted, but it's a decent Commonwealth and uh, English title fight. I think it's I think it's pretty good. I think that Lyndon Arthur won't have any problems. I, I seriously rate Lyndon Arthur. I think he's a very very good fighter. I think that he's got a great chance against Anthony uh, Anthony Yard. So I don't think Dex Bellman should call him cause him too many problems. But at the same time, you know, there's always potential banana skins, and in this weird environment that we live in. You do never know. But at the same time, I, I foresee Lyndon Arthur, you know, really breaking out and looking good in that one. Yeah, most definitely, most definitely. And as part of that card, we also have, uh, again, uh, some more undefeated uh, prospects in, in Nick Ball at Super Featherweight. We've got the Featherweight, Andrew Kane, Super Bantamweight, Brad Strand, and Middleweight, uh, Aguiaco. So, you know, again, you know, 6-0, and 12-0, 5-0, 3-0. So there's, there's a lot of excitement. And, you know, it's a great opportunity for these guys where they might have, you know, been on cards that didn't really receive uh, TV exposure, whereas now you know they're going to be put on a, a national platform. They're going to be fighting on BT Sport. There's going to be a lot of excitement around the fact that British boxing's continue to return, and you know a lot of opportunities there to to show what they can do. Yeah, and uh, there's a lot of excitement. When I used to live in Liverpool, there was a lot of excitement around Nick Ball. He's you know ball by name, ball by nature. He's a little ball of muscle. He's only little, but he's absolutely jacked to the gills, and he hits like a truck. So. There's a lot of excitement in Liverpool about Nick Ball, and uh, I think that I think that this might be his coming out party a little bit, and uh, people might start to talk about him on a bigger scale. Yeah, absolutely. You know, he's 23 years of age, Nick Ball, and he's 12 and 0, and he epitomises, as we've mentioned, you know, the kind of fighter that might have lurked around early on on fight night cards where there's not any TV and there's very little crowds there, or they might be in the small hall scene. Whereas now he's going to get again national exposure and. At 23 years of age and 12 and 0, he's, he's still building towards British title level, and it's, it'd be a great experience for him. It'd be great for everyone to get to know these kind of guys that might have been missed and and lost on undercards. Yeah, exactly. And like I say, I think I think that again, if we're looking out for some of the ones that that you might want to just tune into, I think Nick Ball is absolutely one of those. Most definitely. And as we move forward uh, from July uh, 31st. Uh, that's week three with London Arthur Dex Bellman. There's a small gap then of, of almost three weeks to August 20th for week four, which is headline, which I think is a really interesting fight. Uh, Archie Sharp and, and Jeff Afora. Uh, Archie Sharp is he's on the cusp of, of world title shots. And, you know, he was recently saying that he's he's ready for, for anyone like a Carl Frampton or a Jamel Herring. And, and you know, he's, he's highly ranked in the WBO. So it's really interesting uh, that he's taken on Jeff Afora, you know, because he... And this is down to Super Featherweight. And as I mentioned uh, throughout the week, Jeff Afori took part in the golden contract at Super Lightweight and he's dropping all the way back down to Super Featherweight for this fight. So it's, it's, that's a really interesting angle to the fight too. 
Yeah, I'm a massive Jeff Avori fan. He's, you know, he's like, they talk about BMFs in the UFC and just people who fight anyone, anywhere, anyway. Jeff Avori is one of them. You know, his last fight was O'Hara Davis, uh, uh, super, um, yeah, super lightweight. So, you know, he's, he's, he's game as they come. And obviously, Archie Sharp will be a massive favourite in this one. He's very highly ranked. You know, he's a very, very skilled operator. But at the same time, I think it'll be an exciting fight. I can't remember the last time I saw Jeff Afori not in an exciting fight. So, so why not? I like it. I think it'll be a, an exciting main event. And I think out of the three, it's the one that's most likely to catch fire into a, you know, a kind of fan-friendly, slugfesty type fight because just because of the styles of the two guys. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I think it was it's a really interesting fight. The, fact that the European title's on the line, and you know, eighteen zero Archie Sharp. And as I mentioned at the beginning, he, he's looking at, at that world title level. You know, and this will, you know, if he, if he gets past Jeff Afford and he looks good doing it, you know, who knows what what lies ahead for him at the back end of twenty twenty, moving into twenty twenty one. You know, the super featherweight division is on fire at the minute, and you've got boxers moving up from featherweight up to super featherweight and boxing moving back down from 135 pounds and you know there's there's a lot of titles uh becoming vacant with all these different boxers moving up and down in weight so you know Archie Sharp realistically within the next 12 to 18 months could be fighting for a WBO uh world title exactly and if he's ready to chuck himself in the mix like you said there's lots of people and lots of people that are looking for world titles and lots of people who are vacating them and I think if he's one of those that's ready to stick his hands up and say, I'll, I'll fight for it, he might be able to get himself a big name very quickly. Yeah, also on that card, we have uh, two back, two boxers that are undefeated, uh, also boxing for the European title. This is super welterweight. Uh, Troy Williamson, who we mentioned earlier on, is a possible future opponent for Hamza Shiraz. And he's taking on Michael McGurk himself, 12-0. and And I think this is a great trade fight. You know, it's, it's, it's a term used where, you know, boxing fans will appreciate it maybe more than the mainstream. And, you know, we love the whole tagline of somebody's always got to go and there's nothing like two undefeated challenges clashing and and with the European title on the line as well. And I think this could be a really interesting fight and another one of those fights that we say, you know, arguably fight of the night. Exactly, yeah. It's another one that's one of those that's got fight of the night written all over it. I think that uh, Troy Williamson's a great fighter. I think he's got a lot of potential and I think he's proving that potential really coming into his own and, uh, like I say, Michael McGurk's looking to upset the hype train. He's looking to derail derail Williamson and uh, and get take his place. You know what I mean? Take his place as that guy that's moving up. And uh, I think it'll be a really, really interesting fight on the night. Yep. Also on that card, we have Emery Turner at 2-0 and Sam Noakes at 3-0. And one of the most exciting boxing prospects in the country, uh, Dennis McCann, 6-0. He also makes an appearance uh, August 20th. And I'm... Uh, as, Listeners of the boxing podcast, uh, Let's Stop Boxing podcast, will be acutely aware. Ewan is a huge fan of Dennis McCann. I think he's brilliant. I think he's got everything it takes to be a star. You know, he's got, he's very, very disciplined and he's very, very well spoken, but he's also got that. When he gets in the ring, he's got that thing, that little bit of showboating, that little bit of arrogance that makes some fighters great. You know, he's, He's not afraid, not afraid to, you know, really make sure he lands the right shot. Make sure he lands the the, the crowd pleaser to uh, to end it. I think he's a really good prospect, and you know, he seems like he's only nineteen. He's but he seems like he's got his head on his shoulders. He seems like he's working hard, but he also has that little bit of arrogance, that little bit of showing off. And I think that that's brilliant. I think that's what we need in British boxing. And I I love Dennis the Menace. I think he's coming. I think he's uh, on in the ascendancy in a, in a big big way. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. It's certainly one to keep an eye on and it's part of that card on August 20th and moving forward as well. Uh, as we move forward into week five, the, the culmination of, of this uh, five-fight uh, display from Frank Warren, 
And this is arguably you know the most booked out cards. You know we have uh, only one to be confirmed opponent on there. We have like four fights uh, with Daniel Dubois headlining against Eric Pfeiffer. We have Sonny Edwards against Thomas Asamba. We have Sam Maxwell against Joe Hughes, and we have Willie Hutchinson against Luke Blackledge. So for four fights, uh, not too shabby at all. You and one that we can certainly get our teeth sunk into uh, nearer the time. But as we look over it briefly, what do you think of that card? I think it's definitely the strongest offering of the four that has, well, a five, including this weekend, just gone. Obviously, we know that Dubois will just steamroll whoever he gets in the main event. I know, I'm sure Eric Pfeiffer will disagree, but he'll, he'll, he's only seven and oh, he's never fought outside of Germany. I have very little faith in him as an opponent. But at the same time, Sonny Edwards, in a, in a good fight, you know, I think Sonny Edwards is just ticking over, but who doesn't love watching him fight? I think Maxwell versus Hughes has fight of all four of them written all over it. I know you've picked it, but that's the one app for me that stands out in all of these cards as one that could really light up. You know, I'm a massive fan of both guys. Uh, I think Sam Maxwell, you know, we all know he has that power, but he is limited. And Joe Hughes is exactly the same. He's, he's a great boxer, but he is again limited. And I think that it's a great opportunity for both of them to prove themselves. Willie Hutchinson is a legit prospect, in my opinion. I think he, he, he'll shine against Blackledge. And then finally, Muhammad Ali, who's on that card, you know, the very the brilliantly named Muhammad Ali, who is the Britain's first type one diabetic boxer. He's fought the British Boxing Board of Control for his license. And I think there's a very inspirational story there for all type one diabetic people. Yeah, absolutely. And it's good that he's going to be a part of, you know, the the, the culmination of shows, you know, and I'm sure that this, as you say, you know, it's it's, it's the most bulked out show. It's, it's, it's the, the most packed show. And the fact that he's on there, you know, and it, again, great exposure for him. As you mentioned, Willie Hutchinson's a great prospect and, in Luke Blackledge, he's got a guy that's only going to come to fight, and it'll be a great opportunity for for Willie Hutchinson. You know, he's eleven and 0, seven KOs, and it'd be, it'd be an ideal opponent. You know, in terms of uh, to look good against. You know, and again, I, I know you and, and and Bobby from the team at Sunbox are, are really sold on Willie Hutchinson and uh, Aaron Ludford as well. He, he's a keen fan, so yeah, really excited for that. Uh, Sam Maxwell against Joe Hughes. I'll go into a little bit deeper in a second, and like you say, Sonny Edwards. Uh, he's really building that name for himself now. You know, obviously he's had his elder brother Charlie Edwards go on and win world titles, and you know he's still building his career. And this is a great platform for him. And you know, Thomas Asamba always comes to fight. You know, he's he's got a, he's, he's a better fighter than his record suggests. I'll put it that way. You know, he's ten and five, but he always comes to fight. And you know, if, if Sonny Edwards is not on on his game, then he could have a very difficult night against Asamba. Exactly. Yeah, Edwards is a very very slick boxer, but you know. He, He's he's getting the looks. He's starting to get those looks, and I think Thomas Asombo will absolutely bring a different look to what he's seen before. He'll he'll really push push him hard, and he, like you say, he'll have to be on his A game, and I hopefully he will be. And I think because when he is on his A game, he boxes beautifully. But uh, yeah, I think he's got to be on his A game to win. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So uh, as we as we move on through that card again, I, I fully expect Daniel Dubois to to win and, and win comfortably against uh, Eric Pfeiffer, as you mentioned. You know, Dubois in the kind of form now where. You know, he's going to take something special to stop him. Maybe Joe Joyce, maybe someone uh, higher higher ranked than Joe Joyce. Who knows? But yeah, in terms of Eric Pfeiffer, you know, no disrespect. You know, I respect everyone that gets in the ring, but it's going to take a little bit more than Eric Pfeiffer to stop Daniel Dubois at this point. Yeah, he's Eric Pfeiffer's beaten very few people with winning records. In fact, I'm looking now. I think he's only beaten two or three people with a winning record. He's never fought outside of Germany, and Daniel Dubois is absolutely in the ascendancy. I think he's. Uh, I think he's beaten better people than Eric Pfeiffer and, you know, with the likes of Nathan Gorman. 
Um, so yeah, I think I don't expect many fireworks from that one. I think it's a, it's the Daniel Dubois show. You know, he gets in and knocks him out in a couple of rounds. Absolutely. And uh, just before we move on to uh, talking about the fights that we've chose to keep an eye on, uh, there was a couple of fights that was announced back uh, in 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 June from Frank Warren that was going alongside Brad Foster and James Beach. Uh, they didn't have any set dates, but of course, I'm alluding to the Laron Richards Umar Sadiq fight and also the Anthony Kakache against Leon Woodstock Jr. You know, and those fights, you know, they, they're nowhere to be seen, you know, uh, throughout these fight cards. And, you know, if, if there's anything that we can be disappointed about with the return of British boxing, it's that we, we seem to have lost these two fights. Yeah, everyone who I speak to knows I think Laurent Richards is the real deal. I was, And I think Umar Sadiq's a very, very good fighter as well. I was really looking forward to that one. Uh, it's a bit of a disappointment that that one's fallen off. You know, there's been a few rumours as to why it's fallen off, but uh, I'm not I'm not 100% sure. I wouldn't like to comment, but it's just a disappointment that it's not on. Yeah, absolutely. You know, fingers crossed we, we see those added to, you know, future boxing cards with Frank Warren uh, in the future and uh, as we continue to move towards live crowds and bigger gates maybe and, you know, those kind of fights can be part of, who knows, you know, maybe the Daniel Dubois-Joe Joyce fight in October. I think that would be it. It would really beef out that undercard and make it worthy of the pay-per-view that's going to be charged for it. Yeah, absolutely. So as we move towards uh, the closing the podcast and we look at the standout fights, uh, which two fights did you go for, you and uh, which caught your eye and are ones to look out for across the four fight weeks we have remaining? I went for I went for Je- Archie Sharp and Jeff Afori. I think that's uh, I think that's going to be an absolutely uh, I think that's going to be an absolutely brilliant fight. I think that Jeff Afori he never comes to lose. He'll come to try and knock Archie Sharp out. And I think that Archie Sharp is, is you know, he's in that ascendancy and he'll be looking for a statement performance. So I picked that one out and also Sonny Edwards versus Thomas Asomba because Sonny Edwards is, for me, one of the most... Just, he's got a beautiful style. You know, he's light on his feet. He sticks and moves. He's got... Everyone knows I like the boxer. I really prefer somebody who's a technician and a boxer. I think Sonny Edwards brings that, but he's not afraid to fight either. And I think Asomba will bring him a real different look. And I think this could be Sonny Edwards' is coming out party look and, and make him look really good. So they're the two I picked. Fantastic, you know, and it's difficult to argue with those choices, but in the interest of, of the podcast, we of course tried picking two separate fights each, and I went with the Chris Burke and, and Ramaz Mahmood fight um, that's going to be on fight week two uh, on the Joe Joyce undercard. It's going to be for the Southern Area Super Bantamweight title. Uh, both undefeated, uh, 7-0 for Chris Burke and 11-0 for Ramaz Mahmood. And, you know, both guys, you know, 25, 26, similar ages. Uh, Chris Burke's the heavier puncher. It would seem going off his record, but I just think this is a great small hall kind of fight. You know, this wouldn't look out of place at the iconic York Hall with a, you know a fervent crowd and you know n- n- not the most people there, but really in close to the ring. And you know, I think that would have looked ideal at York Hall as it is. It's going to be at the BT Studios, and I just think it'll bring the the best out of both men. And you know, one guy's going to lose his undefeated record, and they'll have to go back to the drawing board and and rebuild, whereas the winner moves on again into a really competitive domestic scene. So, yeah, for me, uh, Burke against Mahmood and a fight week two is one really to keep an eye on. And then also, as I mentioned earlier, the Sam Maxwell versus Joe Hughes. I think it's a great clash of styles. I think Sam Maxwell at 13-0 and with 11 KOs, you know, but he's far from the complete article. You know, he's still got a lot of building to do. He's got a, a lot of learning to do. Uh, he, of course, had that fantastic win back in 2019 against Sabri Sadira, uh, where he'd, he'd lost the majority of the fight and then produced a stunning knockout towards the end of the final round, protecting his undefeated record. And, you know, this is, this is for his European Super Lightweight title. And 
Joe Hughes across the ring, you know, a former European champion himself. He challenged Robbie Davis Jr. for the British title uh, in 2019 and he, he lost a close decision for me. I had Joe Hughes winning that fight by a couple of rounds, but it just goes to show how competitive that division is that, you know, Joe Hughes lost to Robbie Davis Jr. Robbie Davis Jr. went and lost to Lewis Ritson and, you know, a, a win for Maxwell or Joe Hughes uh, puts him right back in that mix. You know, uh, Maxwell's a huge puncher. 11 wins out of 13, as I say, all by knockout. And he took the undefeated record of Conor Parker last time out. And I just think this has got all the ingredients for for a classic all-British dust-up. And the winner moves on. And it's very difficult to see where the loser would go from here, especially if it's Joe Hughes. He's got a couple of losses on his record already. And he's a great guy. And he's got a great story. But it's all on the line from here. I think that makes for a great fight. Exactly. I think it's the boxer and the puncher because I really rate Joe Hughes' boxing skills. You know, obviously he has a he has his minor disability, which is which means he struggles with his rear hand and he's made that he's made his jab an absolute rapier and uh, I think that, that doesn't get talked about enough. Um so yeah, I think Joe Hughes is a great boxer and but he's gonna have to avoid that killer power of Sam Maxwell. You know, we saw that in the in the Sidiri fight. You can you can knock him down, you can bo- outbox him for ten rounds and then in the last ten seconds bang, gets you with that big right hand. You know, you've got to be careful of that. I think it's a great fight, the boxer and the puncher. Often that those styles gel very, very well. And I think it's uh, anybody's anybody's game on the night, a true 50-50. And uh, if you hadn't have picked it, I would have done. Absolutely. And it goes to show how great the fight it is. But between the four that we've picked out and the rest of the fight cards, you know, again, we just add that we're glad that British boxing is back, you know, and, and we've got uh, fight camps coming up. And I think with it, including the fight card that's just gone, there was 17 shows uh, that's going to take place in Great Britain between... Uh, this week just gone and the end of August, which, you know, it's, it's unprecedented and there's going to be so much for the team at Simbox and for us to get our teeth sunk into. You know, we're really excited about the amount of content that we're going to be releasing. And just as general boxing fans, it's just great to see that boxing's returned and, and returned in such a huge way. Yeah, we've gone from the quietest period in recent history of British boxing to the busiest period ever in British boxing. That, that you know, there'll be more fights staged. And I know they're all five fight cards, but there'll be more fights staged in the coming months than there's ever been in a, in a single period of British boxing, which is so exciting. And uh, I'm just glad to be in the middle of it covering it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And we're really excited to get the content out there. Uh, follow us at Simbox across social media. You and it's been an absolute pleasure discussing the, the latest goings on in boxing media and another fantastic podcast. Thanks for your time. Thanks, Luke.